Our next scripture is from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 7. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's a, a psychologist and a leadership expert named Henry Cloud who explains that uh, real transformation requires grace plus truth plus time. Grace plus truth plus time. Might be a little simplistic, but I think we'll see this well demonstrated uh, as we continue walking through our study in Genesis with the story of Abraham. We've been tracking along with some major figures in this book, real people with real faith, real failures uh, in relationship with our real God. And so far, though, most of the figures that we've studied, uh, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, much of their uh, significance of their piece in the narrative were wrapped up in major events that happened in a brief part of their life. They had major significance for the rest of their lives and major impact on uh, the story of history for, for humanity. But with Abraham, we get our first account of a life that is spent with God over a series of events that shapes their covenantal relationship. It's about a, a hundred year span that we get within his story. God's gracious call and covenant along with God's sobering truth and testing over the course of time, produces a transformation in Abraham's life. Uh, so we're going to begin by just looking at some of the high points of Abraham's narrative arc in Genesis. Um, so let's we're gonna not just go from our, the text that we read this morning, but over uh, quite a few chapters. I'll try to give some bullet points here. Start with Abraham's life and his early journey. He didn't begin his journey actually until age 75. He left with his wife, his mother, his nephew Lot. He left behind his brother Nahor and his sister-in-law Milcah. His father Terah actually had began the journey from Ur to Canaan for unexplained reasons in the text, but he stops at Paran and settles there instead. Now in Stephen's speech in the book of Acts to the Sanhedrin, he actually suggests that Abram heard uh, from Yahweh before Haran, while he was still in Ur. Perhaps maybe Abraham actually convinced his father Terah to start the journey. Um, he urged him in that way. Uh, Abraham's brother Haran also shares the same name as the place that they, that they stopped. Uh, he had died before they started. So some people have some confusion over, did they name the city that? Did they just Was it a coincidence that they stopped there? It's not entirely uh, clear. His other brother, uh, Nahor, uh, he remained in Chaldea, perhaps overseeing the family property there. All the same, though, 
Abram continues the journey after his father's death per the Lord's direction. He does make it into Canaan, but never fully settles any place. He moves around quite a bit, living in tents during uh, his entire life and journey. Twice, he encounters some major power players. He encounters, encounters the Pharaoh in Egypt, later Abimelech in the region of the Negev. Both people he fears are going to take his wife and kill him uh, since she's so beautiful. He tries to get her, uh, keep in mind, by that point, uh, she's at least 80. Point two, and so she's uh, really attracting attention, even at, at her age. He tries to get around it, though, by, by claiming that she's his sister, or at least half-sister. We don't actually know what all is, is true in this. There is some relation between them. Uh, both Pharaoh and Abimelech are super unhappy when they find out about it. But the plot works. He does get away safely. Uh, not because it was a particularly good idea, but because God made the covenant to bless those who bless him and curse those who curse him. Abraham's entire life from 75 onward is shaped by this promise that God will build his family into a great nation, be a blessing to the world. Problem is, wife Sarah is barren. How can he start a family that will bless the whole world if they cannot have a son? After 11 years, they try to help God along by having Abraham bear a son through Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. At age 86, Hagar bears him Ishmael, which causes a lot of problems, to put it uh, in a short way. Around 13 years later, God reiterates his promise to Abraham and insists that Sarah herself will bear a son through whom the promise will come. And as a sign of that covenant promise, all the men in Abraham's household are circumcised, including Ishmael all their servants, and all their future kiddos. I would have liked to have been there for the conversation as Abraham is explaining this to everyone, what's going to happen, but he, he convinces them. Almost immediately after that, Sarah finally becomes pregnant and bears the long-promised son, Isaac. She's 90 years old at that point. Abraham is 100. At Sarah's request after this, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. A little down the road, there's an incident involving a near sacrifice of Isaac. We're going to hear more about these incidences with Sarah and with Hagar and Isaac in the coming weeks as we kind of look into their stories as well. But suffice it to say, for all his willingness to obey God, Abraham is not always a stellar model of faithfulness and not always a stellar model of a good husband or father either throughout all of this. About 30 years after Isaac's birth, Sarah passes away. And Abraham buys her a burial plot in a cave owned by some Hittites. He marries off his son Isaac, um, marries off his son Isaac, and gets remarried himself to a lady named Keturah. And get this, he has six more kids after this. Abraham lives to the ripe old age of 175. And when he dies, his son Isaac buries him alongside Sarah in the same cave that she was buried near a place called Mamre. Quite a life. It all starts with this command and this promise. God says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Get up and go. 
I'll show you the way. And as you go, I will bless your life so intensely that others will be blessed through you. And there's a few lessons I think we can learn from Abraham's life this morning. The first one is this. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. You may be thinking that it's just slightly off. The famous scripture in uh, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. Uh, Paul's point to Timothy was not to let the expectation that others had to keep him from faithfully serving what he was called to do. At that time, from as and for most of history, really, old age came with esteem and respect because of the wisdom provided by experience. For Timothy, to serve as a young leader then meant that he would have to fight an uphill battle to be taken seriously by those who were older than himself. In our own society, the tables have largely turned. Our world increasingly values youth and tries to brush off the concerns uh, and wisdom of older generations as antiquated and irrelevant. In fact, there's quite a bit of concern uh, currently about the majority of our leading politicians being octogenarians. Um, with a myriad of concerns about what it means for their capacity to do the job. Maybe you've seen people talk about this in the news. I'm not going to get into that either way uh, on that. But only to comment, there are reasons we have generalized expectations of people based upon age, right? It's why Timothy had to earn trust for those he served. There are reasons that we have uh, concerns about experience and wisdom uh, for, for youth. It's the same reason why uh, Sarah laughed at God's promise, right? She had gotten to a certain point in her development where it seemed like it was out of the norm. You know, it wasn't to be expected at her age. But just as youth does not disqualify uh, anyone from ministry, the experience of years also does not relegate us to the sidelines of faithful service either. Don't let anyone look down on you, young or old, because we are all called to love the Lord and to serve him with all our heart. So in the opportunities and the gifts of each season, we can set an example for other people in speech, in our actions, in our integrity, and in the way that we love others, and in the way that we respond to the call of God in any given moment. If Abraham's life can teach us anything, it's that we're never too old to make a difference either. Abraham was 75 when he started his journey. And that isn't like 75 when Adam and Eve and all of uh, them were living into their 900s, right? This is after the age span had already been reduced. There's still way more to his story after that. Similarly, uh, history records that many people have made some of their greatest contributions to the world, to society, after the age of 60. At age 75, cancer survivor uh, Barbara Hillary became one of the oldest people and the first black woman to reach the North Pole. At age 77, John Glenn became the oldest person to go into space. Colonel Sanders struggled as a businessman until he thought to sell franchises for fried chicken, uh, his fried chicken brand at the age of 62. The biblical figure of Caleb was 85 when he took the stronghold of the giants. All that to say, you can never fully know what's in store for each season of life. But God calls each one of us to follow him boldly with the promise that he will bless us to be a blessing to others. In the journey of faith, it's never too early and it's never too late. Christ simply bids us to come and to follow, be faithful to the present moment. 
The second lesson that we can learn practically from Abraham's life story is uh, it's taught explicitly by Jesus to seek first the kingdom of God. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes a, a good chunk of time to reflect on our constant tendency towards anxiety. And he says, I'm paraphrasing here in this, hey, chill. Everything's going to be okay. Look at the flowers. I take care of them, don't I? What makes you think that I won't take care of you? There's an author named uh, Curtis Chang who writes about this passage in a book called The Anxiety Opportunity, How Worry is a Doorway to Your Best Self. He says that we always view tend to view anxiety as a problem that needs to be fixed or resolved. But he finds it much more healthy to view anxiety as a pathway, an opportunity, uh, an opportunity for curiosity, discovery, and transformation in God's presence. Uh, Cheng notes in this passage how Jesus masterfully redirects our attention away from the what's, what we're going to wear, uh, what we will eat, to who, who we will be in the presence of. Jesus says, you're worried about what you wear or eat? Consider the birds. Consider the lilies. He's calling them to an appreciation of beauty and to be rooted in the present, what's happening right now, using their senses. And then to consider if God takes care of them, takes care of the birds, takes care of the lilies, how much more will God take care of you? So Jesus has redirected us now, our attention from food and clothing to God himself. Away from our, uh, our, our fear of a future loss of what's to a present appreciation of who God is. Faithfulness to us. Now here's the thing. This isn't meant to distract us from danger or from want as if they aren't real. It's meant to root us in what is real. To be transformed by God's presence in the present. Abraham and his family were migrants, pursuing a dream of a, of a preferred future. All we know is that Abraham was following God's lead. We don't know what the situation was like in his home country, if it was dangerous, if there was a famine or a time of want. All we know is that he had been given a call by God, and he's following it. The family appears to have been pretty well off. They have taken a lot of things with them as they go. But they experience a lot of anxiety along the way. We can see examples of Abraham facing the same kinds of stressors that many uh, migrants, immigrants, refugees face today. Um, Curtis Chang, uh, I actually heard him talk about his book uh, in an event about immigration. He was talking about the intersection between anxiety and uh, immigration issues. And he, he shared about his own story of his family uh, immigrating from Taiwan and, and settling in Chicago. Um, and, and he talked about some of the common stressors that immigrants face, um, things like a loss of friends and family connections, loss of familiar surroundings, things that we, we know about that are familiar to us, uncertainty about status and employment uh, and our well-being, to oftentimes give up entire uh, careers and professions and things that we have learned to start over fresh, uncertainty about safety and welcome. Are, are people going to accept us? Will, will they like us? Uh, Curtis even was reflecting on he when, when they moved, he was very young, and his father had come over a couple years prior. And so as this uh, four- to five-year-old, he didn't really know his dad. And he had, uh, he says, reflecting on um, uh, 
on this now, he remembers a, a game he kept telling his uh, siblings he was going to play that when he got there, he was going to hide behind his mom and see, uh, oh, dad's going to think that we left Curtis behind. Um, and he thought it was kind of a funny thing then. But as he reflects back on it, he knows it was a weird game that he was doing because he was afraid his dad wouldn't recognize him. So he was responding to this anxiety within him. Abraham and his family, they responded. They had a lot of these same things. Abraham had left behind his brother Nahor, some other family connections back in Ur. Uh, they were leaving their familiar surroundings. They had no idea really where they were headed. They didn't know what they were going to encounter there. There was uncertainty about status, employment, well-being. He's constantly negotiating with people around him that he encounters, right? Which then plays in also to this idea of uncertainty about safety and welcome. How are they going to be received by others? By the way, Curtis also notes all of these anxieties that he, he mentioned also seem to be present in the citizens for whom are receiving um, immigrants and migrants. Things like, it's just going to disrupt our familiar uh, surroundings, our, our, our family connections. Our, is there uncertainty now about status and employment and well-being? Is there uncertainty about welcome? Will they like us when, uh, when they come? All of these things are present in this issue. It's little wonder then that Abraham occasionally does some strange things on his journey, right? In response to his anxiety, we know that he does some weird things. But God repeatedly shows grace, reiterates the truth of his promise, even while being gracious to him. And over time, over time, Abraham is transformed. Now notice that God appears to Abraham and gives him this promise. And Abraham responds often by building an altar to commemorate the event. Throughout his life, Abram lives in nothing but tents. But we continuously see him building altars and monuments to the Lord. Tents are by nature temporary. Monuments are meant to be permanent, to endure and to last. The book of Hebrews, I have a verse up here on the slide as well, it comments that this is because Abraham, despite all of his anxieties, all of his faults, he ultimately had his eyes on a different kind of kingdom than any that he could build with his own effort. Now, earlier in Genesis 11, we referenced it in our children's message or video today, there's a story of a bunch of folks who tried to make a name for themselves by building a tower that they could reach the heavens. In Genesis 4, after Cain sent, is sent away from God's presence, he builds a city and names it after his firstborn to celebrate him. Instead of building towers or cities for himself, though, Abraham lived humbly out of a tent and regularly built monuments to the Lord. As a result, God promised to make Abraham's name famous. And does, with a long, long journey, bunch of mistakes on Abraham's part, but God is constant and faithful through it all. And despite his hiccups, Abraham is ultimately faithful as well. Brings me to our, our last lesson to learn, to be active in faith and patient in faithfulness. To be honest, Abraham wasn't completely uh, patient through his entire lifetime. As we'll see in the coming weeks of our reading of Sarah's story and, uh, and of Hagar's, uh, he and his wife at times feel they need to take matters into their own hands. 
to help God out in his promises. And it doesn't work out too well. But even when he made mistakes, Abraham consistently trusted God's promise. Because of that consistent trust, we see Abraham transformed into a different sort of man by the end of his life. At the beginning of his journey, he feels the need to lie to protect his own life and to sleep with someone else uh, other than his wife to provide an heir. By the end of his life, he trusts God so sufficiently that when asked to give up his promised son, he's willing to do so with the trust that God is somehow going to be faithful to his promise, even if he doesn't understand how. Grace plus truth plus time resulting in transformation faithfulness. God asks us also to be active in our faith, to be patient in faithfulness. And even when we are not, God is active in faith and patient in faithfulness towards us. This hopefully doesn't come as a surprise to many of you, but I am not perfect. Just being a pastor doesn't somehow make you uh, holier or more spiritual than anyone else. Uh, If anything, it makes you just feel that much worse when you realize how unholy you are. (laughs) I'm completely, though, I'm completely, utterly, unabashedly in love with Jesus because he's good. He shows me what love is over and over and over again. Before I was even a thought to my parents, Jesus gave up his life so that I could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all my faults and sins could be forgiven. He did it for all of us. And yet, I still doubt that I'm worth it. Over and over again, I still turn elsewhere for comfort. I still worry that if I don't cut corners, if I don't take care of myself first, then no one else will. I've got to take care of me first, just in case God doesn't come through. And every time I hear that voice say in my head, this must be it right? This has got to be the last straw for God. He's given up on me now. He doesn't. And with each new confession and new mercy, I find myself becoming that little bit more trusting. My capacity for faithfulness grows that little bit more in small but profound ways. This is what we mean as a church together when we talk about becoming more and more like Jesus Every day. Friends, there's nothing that you could do to make God love you less. But there's also so much more to forgiveness or to salvation than forgiveness. If we'll choose to turn from sin, to answer his call to live faithfully, faithfully with him, there's so much blessing waiting for us on the journey. He will help us, he will aid us. He will fill us with his Holy Spirit, as we mentioned earlier today. What happened with Abraham, right? It can and will happen for us as well. Hold on to that promise. Our Lord, Jesus, Savior, we thank you so much the promises that you have given, for the call that you have issued to us, coming to follow you. And 
We know there are times when we don't exactly know where it's going. There are times in which our own anxieties and uncertainties get the best of us. We try to help things along just like Abraham did. We make missteps, fall, we fail. And yet we can know we can stand firm on you and your promises. We pray for more of your spirit each and every day. We receive your mercies that are new every morning, eagerly. We long to look more and more like you. We found faithful in your eyes. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. Um, please.